Oh right, I host this. Yeah. Hi everybody, welcome to Ornate Stairwells Movie Podcast. I'm Autumn, that's Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. Uh, we watched a bunch of movies. <laughs> I feel like action. You watched a lot of movies, and I was present for some of it, and I watched a couple things. Sorry for moving the mic around, but I realized it was like way closer to you than me. And also I'm louder, generally. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, I watched a lot of movies. I watched a lot of movies today, which <laughs> we're not going to get to until next episode because we're recording back to back. Yeah. So we're, we're recording this one that you're hearing right now, and then the episode you're going to hear in a week, we're recording tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> um, because of the holiday plan. Like, I'm going to be yeah. traveling and stuff. Yeah. So not just... like a ton, just driving to Michigan. But... Yeah. Like, just enough that it's like, okay, we're just going to yeah. do these back-to-back. Um, which means that we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 things, and we're going to do, like, 8 of them t- today, and we'll talk about 4 of them tomorrow. Yeah. Um, you're like, why not 6 and 6? And I'm like, you'll see why. It, it made more sense this way, I feel yeah. like. Um... So, on my list, I've got the first thing here. Disneyland's Fast Pass, A Complicated History. I gave this an F. Um, No stairs? No stairs. (laughs) Normally, this is not a... Normally, I would not put YouTube videos on here. Yeah. But um, this is on Letterboxd, and I find that ridiculous. (laughs) And so, to uh, make my complaints known... Um, I decided to put it in this spreadsheet and give it an F. I really enjoyed that uh, Fast Pass documentary on YouTube. I thought it was a really good YouTube video, but it gets an F for stairs. <laughs> because um, videos about people standing in line for roller coasters either don't, fit, don't feature stairs, or if they do, it's just people standing in line. So, <laughs> not very good stairs. Yeah. Uh, is that all you have to say about Disney's Fast Pass? I guess the th- real thing I'm trying to say here is that either Letterboxd needs to put every YouTube video on there, or they need to take all the YouTube videos off. I don't care. They just need to make a decision one way or the other. Yeah. I want to be able to rate the video that I like to watch of just, like, a, a very pleasant man burning uh pete Brickettes and his like dog sitting by the fire um i just while irish music plays in the background i just feel like i feel like because the fast pass video is good it went viral on social media for a reason it's a good video i just feel like your criteria for what youtube videos go on letterbox cannot be sufficiently respectable on film twitter (laughs) (laughs) yeah but film twitter is like who letterbox cares about so yeah yeah like full malachimus brotherhood is on there and i've rated it because i I, if i've seen it and i know it's on letterbox i want to rate it but every time i remember that i have full malachimus brotherhood on my letterbox i'm like that's absurd (laughs) um a thing, so I have gone through and just seen when I finish anime for Ghost Divers, is it on Letterboxd or not? Um, and Ava and Utena are. Mm-hmm. Um, what surprises, I'm not surprised that Rayearth isn't. 
because it's not going to get the respect that it deserves. Even though their supposed criteria is that it's a limited series, and Ray Earth, I would describe as a limited series. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Crow High isn't. I'm also not surprised by that. Uh, oh, MS team isn't. That's also a limited. It's literally an OVA. Yeah. That one's not on there. Although Miller's report is, I think. Um, and Gunbuster's on there. And Gunbuster is the same length as. Yeah. But like, and so I think like this is the like, what's respectability in like non-anime mm-hmm. film Twitter spaces is like, okay, I understand Ava and Utena. The part that I find surprising is that Ghost in the Shell standalone complex isn't. That's so bananas yeah. to me. Because that is just such a, like, like, that's what I'm, like, expecting yeah. Letterboxd to do for anime. is like, oh, yeah, the one that's, like, the, like, sign-in. Like, this is for, mm-hmm. like, a male, adult male audience. Mm-hmm. It's about, like, police procedurals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Insanity. <laughs> anyway. Tell me about Duck the Hall's Mickey Mouse Christmas special. Yeah, so um, part of this was just, like, you know, we, we will sometimes have TV on for our toddler in the evenings, especially if I'm, like, cooking and I'm, like, I kind of need you to be, like, slightly distracted for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so You don't want them to just, like, put their hand on the gas stove? Well, I like when they, like, want to join and help cook, but... Um, it's different when they're just like want me to play and I'm like, I need to make you dinner. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyway, and often we just watch like bluey is the most common or Daniel Tiger, but we prefer bluey cause it's more entertaining for adults as well. Yeah. Um, Daniel anyway, Tiger is a barren wasteland. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, for a while we were just like, Especially the Muppet Christmas Girl, because I kind of wanted to watch it. I was, like, trying to put it on, and then they would be like, I don't want to watch this. I don't like this. <laughs> um, but, and so I was like, well, can we watch, like, something Christmassy? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, Mickey Mouse. And so I started with Duck the Halls and Mickey Mouse Christmas Special, because the Mickey Mouse that they watch sometimes is the, like, new Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. Um and so this is like the new Mickey Mouse TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is from 2016. I think it was just an episode of the show, but um, I don't know. I don't think individual episodes of this are listed on Letterboxd, but this one is because it's a Christmas special, I guess. Um, more Letterboxd weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, Duck the Halls, a Mickey Mouse Christmas special. Uh, it's It was entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely in this like new Mickey Mouse style that's... Uh, like at once, like returning to some of the more slapsticky yeah. roots, I think. But then also, it's like it's weird because you can like kind of see Ren and Stimpy or whatever in like the mm-hmm. unit. Like this has come after Ren and Stimpy, and so we're gonna have like the close up, like detailed shot for Watch- a gag or something. The weird thing about watching any cartoon from the last thirty years is that you can kind of see the Ren and Stimpy yeah. in it. <laughs> <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah. Five years ago, I, I would say that, and I'd be like, that's not that weird. Everybody liked Ren and Stimpy. But now it's, like, weird that, yeah. like, Ren and Stimpy is, like, the most influential, like, Western show of the last three years. Yeah. For children's cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, like, weird. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I was watching it, and I was like, the entire premise of... So the basic premise of it is that uh, Donald Duck wants to celebrate Christmas, but can't because all, all the ducks have to fly south for the winter. Um, because, and so like Donald Duck decides to actually not do that this Mm -hmm. year Mm -hmm. because he really wants to celebrate Christmas. 
Um, and it's just too cold. The duck will die if they're in the cold during mm-hmm. the winter. Uh, it's like specifically figured as like, you will die. <laughs> Um, there's a part where they think that Donald Duck is dead. Um, and anyway, I was watching it and I was like, can't you just celebrate Christmas in like the Bahamas or wherever you're going? Like they're like on some tropical Island. Um, and then literally the, like, this is spoiling duck the halls, but literally the, the final like scene of it is Santa Claus showing up and being like, why don't you just celebrate Christmas here? Like you can literally celebrate Christmas anywhere. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm glad that the, the entire time this cartoon has been aware of how stupid this conceit is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it like won me over the fact that that was the end it was just like, why aren't you doing it here? Um, <laughs> you always could have done it here. Um, anyway, um, I did a C plus. I may have missed a better stairwell shot, but there was definitely a part where like, there was just some Christmas mayhem happening. Some like, you know, holiday mayhem mm-hmm. um and people flew down some stairs while like ornaments or something were flying mm-hmm. you know um but it wasn't anything special but like there were some stairs in there and it, it was like a you know uh fun shot so c plus my next i had some just general vague like <laughs> disney cartoon thoughts that i was just gonna like say into a podcast for a second yeah um our next the next thing on the list is something we watched together mickey's christmas carol this was like the same evening yeah you you came over because we were going to watch venom which is what we're going to talk about after this yeah but my toddler was still up so we put on mickey's christmas carol which is like i had it on vhs this was like one of my favorites as a kid i loved mickey's christmas carol still do Watched it two years ago. Watched it this year. I love Mickey's Christmas Carol. It's just like my whole entire heart. <laughs> um, uh, it's weird because I was just thinking about it because like I'll we'll talk about it tomorrow. I watched a Goofy movie. Um, yeah. Tomorrow, as we record this, Pop Town Funk will be up, so you can hear the episode about a Goofy movie. I just was thinking about it because like I did not grow up. I was really into Kingdom Hearts, as we know. Yeah. But I did not really like a lot of Disney stuff as a kid. I didn't like most Disney movies as a kid. I had a couple when I was really little on VHS that I would watch. But, like, I was not a... I especially did not watch, like, a ton of, like, Mickey, Donald, Goofy stuff. And just in, like... The last couple months I've been, like, reading these Donald Duck comics, and I'm like, oh, right, I love Donald Duck, and I love Scrooge McDuck, and, like, I watched a Goofy movie, like, oh, this movie's great, and, like, I was watching, you know, Mickey's Christmas Carol and a couple of these, like, Mickey, like, recent cartoons, I'm like, I have, like, this deep affection for these three Disney characters that I just didn't (laughs) know that I had, and I don't know what to do with this knowledge now. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And I think what it actually is is that, like, the thing I really love, truly, like, love in the way that you can only love something when you're, like, a, a child, is I love Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes. Yes. And no one's making good Tom and Jerry or Looney Tune cartoons, but people are making new good Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck cartoons. So I guess I have just transferred all of that love onto yeah. these cartoon characters now. <laughs> there, there's like somewhat of a similar energy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, although, like, Tom and Jerry in particular is just so incredible. Um, like, I, I love the Looney Tunes stuff where there's, mm-hmm. like, no dialogue or, like, no need for dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to China for my brother's wedding, mm-hmm. the subway trains played Tom and Jerry on little screens. Oh, that's adorable. And it was fucking incredible. That's and it, adorable. And it was great, too, because there's this moment where I realized that I was just like, oh, like... You're not missing anything. Yeah. Like, they're not... There's not, like... This is just it. Like, they're not, like, <laughs> translating it because it's Tom and Jerry. Yeah. Like, you you know what it... Like, you don't need to speak any language to understand yeah. this. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing about... The, there's a lot of Looney Tunes shorts that I have a deep affection for, but there are just as many that are, like, total misses, I think. It yeah. just totally, like... They made a lot of them, and some of them hit, and some of them miss. Uh, Tom and Jerry just fucking hits. I love Tom yeah. and Jerry a lot. <laughs> and I think I could probably trace back, like, my love of animation generally to Tom and Jerry. Yeah. You know? Because, like, you know, I'm watching Tokyo Godfathers, and I'm like, oh, look how their faces, like, all stretch and, like, <laughs> blur and do all this weird stuff. And that's just Tom and Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't have too many, like... You were watching Mickey's Christmas Carol more than I was, because... Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was like... I don't know what I was doing, because I... You were just kind of hanging out on the couch. Yeah. You had just made dinner, and you were, like, tired. Yeah. <laughs> I felt a little bad. Um, Your toddler was also on the couch, and they had requested Mickey Mouse, so I was like, oh, well, let's put on Mickey's Christmas Carol, because I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like I want oh, Mickey because yeah. it's mostly a movie about uh, about Scrooge. Yeah, <laughs> Mickey is barely in it. <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, I did kind of bully this toddler into watching um, the thing that I wanted. <laughs> the thing is that if you just let the toddler pick, it's just going to be like the same five episodes of Daniel Tiger or maybe Bluey, and then you're lucky. Like, <laughs> um, this is also a thing that we're running in with, like into with music where we'll put on music and they'll be like i don't like this song and it's like it literally just started like <laughs> i know it's not one of the like five songs that you like right now but like can we please listen to something else um it is still cute that one of their favorite songs is a song that they heard from a fan cam for a uh, yuri enemy <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I was just watching it on my phone and they really liked the song and kept wanting me to play it and so they were just watching this Yuri anime fan cam for like minutes and minutes and then we will play the song and they'll be like I don't like this part and then we'll get to the part that's in the fan cam and they'll start dancing <laughs> um, anyway I'm a good mom <laughs> Mickey's Christmas Carol, I gave the stairs an A+. If you've seen this, you know the stairs. Scrooge gets home, he's walking up his stairs, and the shadow of um, Jacob Marley like follows him up the stairs. It's Goofy in chains, mm-hmm. but it's just the shadow of Goofy in chains. Um, it's really good. I gave it an A+, because I like it a lot, but it felt like giving it an S would just kind of devalue an S. I don't think it is an S. Yeah. I don't... An A plus might be a stretch. It might really be an A minus, but I can't rate it any lower than an A plus because I have always loved this cartoon. So. (laughs) Then... 
Eddie. <laughs> Eddie. <laughs> uh, yeah, we watched Venom. Yeah. Um, we were going to watch Tokyo Godfathers, and then we were like, let's watch Venom. No. We oh. just decided to watch Venom. The We're going to get to the part that we watched instead of Tokyo Godfathers, because you had a booster shot and didn't want to watch Tokyo Godfathers. <laughs> Oh right, that's that's down here. Oh no! Oh no! No no no! <laughs> yeah, we watched Venom. Venom. Um, <laughs> it was fun. It was yeah, yeah. That movie is exactly how I remember it from three yeah. years ago. You know what was great about it? Uh huh. Was that it was like pretty short. Pretty short. Yeah. Not much happened. Cause cause like, I think that. Watching this, like, further solidified something about, like, this style of mm-hmm. blockbuster now, which is that, like, this this was fun because it was, like, oh, yeah, like, there's some stuff I'm going to roll my eyes at it and just, like, how color-graded all this is and, like, mm-hmm. the way that they're handling special effects and everything. Definitely. But it, it, it was over so much shorter than, like, a lot of Avengers shit or whatever. And yeah. it's, I can just tolerate it if it's a, a fun short thing. And it's also like, you know, I'm I'm sure if this series keeps going, it's going to get more and more interconnected with things. But it's just like, no, it's just like this guy, it's Venom. Mm-hmm. Like, the story is simple. This feels very, like, throwbacky to, like, how blockbusters were when I was a kid. Of that, like, very specific time frame of, like, the first spider, like, from between, like, the first Spider-Man and Lord of the Rings movies to, like, whenever Iron Man hits of, yeah. like, they're all kind of samey and schlocky, but they were all, like, about at the two-hour mark instead of the 2.30 mark, and they're yeah. all, like, they set up sequels at the end, but it doesn't always feel like it is trying to, like, sell you a thing in the way that like MCU movies feel like they're selling you things and it's like just a certain je ne sais quoi yeah. knowing that there's like 20 other movies yeah well it's also like the sequel is like Carnage and I'm like oh yeah that's a thing that I know is like related to Venom it's yeah. not like and now at the end we see like some completely different character from a completely different comic book show up and be like yeah. we need you to join the squad or and you're like what the <laughs> <laughs> what the, what is happening? Um, yeah. I, yeah, I I did I enjoyed it because it just felt like yeah the like comic book movies that I watched as a kid where it's like I was even going into it not really knowing comic book stuff and just being like yeah yes. that's like that's what this is like I don't need to know like how things relate or whatever or I don't need to watch like eight other films to know what the fuck's going on in this film. That's the, you know what, that might be the thing, is that, like, Venom the movie feels like it is an adaptation, where it took a bunch of comic book stories and is like, we're going to adapt these into, like, the medium of film, whereas MCU movies feel like we're going to translate every little thing about comics yeah. to movies, including the part where you need to have watched all the other movies to understand <laughs> this movie. Or yeah. to... Man, I was on Twitter today and I saw Wong was trending and I was like, I clicked it because I, I had just been Googling 2046. I was like, oh, was Wong Kar Wai trending? Of course he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> of course he wasn't. <laughs> um, 
And they were like every a bunch of MCU fans were losing their shit about some character named Wong and like I don't know who that is. I've been a Marvel fan since I was like the same age as your toddler. I was wearing yeah. Spider-Man pajamas. I don't know who the fuck that is. And apparently, I was like looking. I was like, I gotta go watch like Doctor Strange to know who that is, so that I can see. And apparently, he was in Doctor Strange, and now he's been in like every other MCU movie for like. He shows up for like cameos in every MCU movie. He's like the new fucking Stan Lee or some shit. I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't know who that is. I don't want to watch. What? <laughs> what? What if it was like That's the, a different the Stan Lee? cameos but it was just Wong Kar Wai just showing up that would be incredible actually <laughs> I think I fixed it <laughs> um anyway we just because Tony Lung was in Shang-Chi and so you could yeah. get you could get like a scene where Tony Lung's villain character in Shang-Chi like goes up to his buddy and his buddy is just Wong Kar Wai in sunglasses smoking and like man I don't know life's yeah. crazy dude <laughs> yeah just driving a truck saying some Stanley line he just like sheds Excelsior <laughs> um anyway we should we should Rape the stairwell together. I don't even remember it at this point. Oh wait, it's in his apartment, right? That was the yeah. One where the like, yeah, the people come to like kill him or whatever, and then it's like the first big fight. Where yeah, he has venom powers. Yeah, I feel like the stairs weren't that central to it. They're just kind of there. They're just kind of there. I'm trying to think. There's also that scene where he's in that big office building and he goes up and down, but that's mostly elevators. Yeah. I guess if you, I guess if you want to bend the rules, at one point he climbs a building. I mean, we do get like figure moving through space in a way that we don't with elevators, but I'm gonna give this like a C minus D yeah, plus. I was feeling like maybe C minus. Yeah, like you turned it in assignment. Yeah. Um. Um. Now for something I've never heard of. Yeah, I am not a witch by Rungana Nyoni. Um, mm-hmm. this is a 2017 film from Zambia. Um, with like co-production from I think like France and Germany or something. Um. And I kind of just went into it being like, you know, I've been trying to do some more research into stuff that's like cinema of Africa things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was starting with Ghana and looking into some of that, which we'll get to. Um, but one of the th- other things I, I delved into is I found a thing that was like going into a bunch of female directors who have done work. Um, and I was like, this could be interesting. Like, let me look through if, if any of these speak to me. Um, and this is a fairly recent one. And the the premise of it is, so it's based on like actual, um, some like actual events that happened where like young girls were accused of being witches. Um, and essentially the, the plot of it is that like, there are these communities of women who have been like accused of being witches and they basically like all live together and they have these ribbons. So there's like a, a thing up that like attaches to the clothes on their back. Um, and the ribbon like goes to a spool and it's so that like they can't fly away. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like always tethered by this ribbon. Um, and you know, the, the plot of it is like the, the main character is this little girl who gets accused of being a witch. 
and then ends up in like one of these communities and then there's like the person who's supposed to be like you know taking care of them and watching over them but basically he just like will use them to like oh here's like a a conflict where someone's like one of these people stole like something from my house or whatever um and then you just have the witch come and the witch will like talk to spirits or whatever and then like say who it was um Mm-hmm. And also, like, tourists will come and look at the, like, community where all the witches are sitting and be like, oh, look at these witches or whatever, you know? Um, and so it's, it's really just, like, this exploitation of women mm-hmm. that's happening. Yeah. Um, I don't have, like, full context for exactly how accurate this is to some stuff that actually happens. But, it, I mean, it seemed like they weren't just, like, making, making stuff up. They were pulling it. Um, and so I was like, this sounds interesting when I watch it. It kind of sounds depressing, Mm-hmm. Like it, it just it, sounds like it could just be like a a movie about like this poor girl being like, you know, like put into this horrible situation, and it sort of is, but it was a lot funnier than I was expecting. I thought for sure you were gonna be like, and then he sexually assaults them. <laughs> no, like that I thought that's yeah. where there was. I thought that's where this was going. Um, I mean, yeah, it doesn't really go there. Okay, that's, um, that's good. I. Wouldn't that sounds yeah, too much? It's more like just monetary exploitation, mm-hmm. um, and just like you know, I mean, it doesn't. The thing is, it doesn't end well for this little girl. But I, I don't want to like spoil everything. But it is also surprisingly funny. Um, there's a lot of humor in the scenes, um, and it like plays with the the tension of the the humor really well too. Uh, so one of my favorite is the first time that she's like called out and she has to pick which of the guys like stole something and it's just like 20 guys, Mm -hmm. you know, like often it'll be like, you know, three or four or something. And it's just like 20 guys and she has to pick which one it was. And then she's like on the phone. She's like, you know, all nervous and is like, can I call like one of the other like witch ladies who's basically like become a surrogate mother essentially. Um, and she's like oh, like, they'll be happy if you just, like, pick the darkest one. And she's like, there's so many. There's, like, four really dark people, like, um, which is just, like, playing at this race thing that's going on. But, um, <laughs> but like, all of it is just played with this, like, she's on the phone talking about this. Um, and it's like, like, who looks nervous? And it's like, I don't, like, multiple look nervous. And you're like, this is just, like, not going to end well. Um, and then she just, like, finally picks someone, and then they go to search his house, and he actually did st- steal it, even though the entire time he's denying it. Um, and then he's like, oh, you must really be a witch, because you, like, actually, like, <laughs> the, the, like, guy who's, like, exploiting all these is like, I'm, st- how- you must be a witch. Like, how did you do this? Like, I don't, <laughs> normally we just, like, pick one of them, and, like, who cares? Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's one of those, it's, like, it's playing at dark topics, but it's doing it with this, like black comedy that that works mm-hmm. for a lot of it um so yeah I, I ended up like one of the other big ones that i found really funny is there's this part where there's this um like woman who you know speaking english with like a heavy uk accent she's wearing like a pith helmet and she goes to like look at the commune where they're all just like sitting with their like ribbons um as like a tourist um, and then she like notices that the little girl is like hiding in the statue and is like, oh, she looks so sad and everything. And you're like, oh, is this going to be like some sort of like 
perhaps she'll finally be saved because this woman will be like, why is this little girl here? Why is she so sad? She's like, I think I know it will cheer you up. Would you like to take a picture with me? <laughs> I'm just like, this movie's fucking incredible. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really good. I, the thing is like, I was watching it and I was like, obviously some of this, like, I think the biggest thing and, and it's where the stairwell comes in. Cause most of this is outside. Uh huh. Because they, like, live outside. They have, like, tents that they sleep in. But they, like, basically have to live outside. Um, and so most of it, like, it's a really, really wide aspect ratio. And it's because you're seeing the, like, full plane of, like... You know, it's all these, like, planes. It's not, like, hills and stuff. So you just see, like, the right. sky stretch forever. Okay. And it's just, like, really, you know, um, like, wide landscapes that are, like, all the actions happening in. And there's this one part where um, he takes her to... Uh, this woman who's like, oh, let me show you something. And it's that she has one of the, like, um, spindles of, like, ribbon as well, but she doesn't have to wear it all the time. Um, and then, so they're, like, in this house, and she walks up this, this staircase. And I, I gave it a C, because it's, like, the one staircase, it is kind of ornate. What's interesting is that even though they're going up the stairs, it's so wide, and they're framing it in a way where they're just moving across the frame. Like okay. They're not really moving up. Um, but, and then she's explaining like, oh, do you know why I don't have to wear it anymore? It's because of respectability. I'm a married woman now. And so I think like what this film is doing is like, mm-hmm. is trying to say like, yes, we can watch this and be like, oh, isn't this like this terrible misogyny, like oppression of women, this witch stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also drawing this parallel to like, yeah, but like, modern society isn't necessarily like Western society isn't necessarily yeah. that much better to women. Yeah. And like the hope that she has is like trading it out for like, <clears throat> Oh, you get married to a guy. Mm-hmm. Then you can like have the respectability that you don't have to wear. Like you're now a kept woman. And so now you don't have to be like kept by the spin. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. Yeah. It, there, it was definitely like in that feminist territory, but I felt like it just, it was it was like fun and interesting in a way that um I enjoyed. I feel like if we really did a podcast on it, I would have like more like yeah. let's break down exactly what's going on here. But yeah, totally. Um, it I sounds interesting. It, it sounds know. interesting. And again, so much funnier than I was expecting. Although still sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. So. We should probably export about this. Nora and I Nora and I have watched two movies that we should probably like fold into one export or something. I don't know. Yeah. I was really high. <laughs> I was really high. Yeah. I wasn't that high. I wasn't that high. I was like high. Yeah. I had some marijuana. And I was like, Gilmore Girls, Gilmore Girls, Gilmore Girls. And Nora's like, we have Gilmore Girls at home. <laughs> but weren't you at home? Nora didn't want to watch Gilmore Girls. So Nora, <laughs> thinking that she would own me, thinking, oh, haha, I will torture Autumn, who is high, by putting on Ready Player One. <laughs> we watched Ready Player One. Steven Spielberg 2018 film. Are you familiar with Steven Spielberg? Yeah. Who did he make any movies? Um, I was gonna say Jaws, but I think that was actually the shock. 
Oh, he did AI. That's a good movie. <laughs> anyway. Um, Jurassic Park. <laughs> Don't tell the people about Ready Player One. You're stalling. Okay. Here's the thing is that I kind of enjoyed it. A yeah. little bit. You were a little bit high, so that explains it? Yeah. Or, is that <laughs> oh, what you're saying? Yeah, if I was sober, that would not have been a fun experience. <laughs> um, I gave it an F. Stairwells, F, because I don't remember there being any stairwells, and if, because I was high, <laughs> and if there were any stairwells, they probably had, like, Tracer from Overwatch on them or something stupid. Yeah. Um, I... Here's the thing about Ready it's Player One. Hubert going down the stairs? No, that's Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I feel like Ready Player One would still do that, though. Probably. <clears throat> I guess here's the thing about Ready Player One, is that, like... I basic from like a story perspective of like what that movie is. Yeah. Yes, it is bad. Yes, it is annoying how it is replete with references. Yes, the source material is like vile dog shit. <laughs> yeah. I can't really like distinguish like Ready Player One from any other movie that came out in 2018. Like, it, it it feels, I don't know, I think every there's a lot of hand-wringing about how Ready Player One is, like, uniquely terrible. Yeah. And I don't think that's true. I think that because it's a Steven Spielberg movie, there is a sort of competent execution of the storytelling and the, like, pacing that isn't present for a lot of like i was engaged with the movie the whole way through i cannot say that for most modern blockbusters yeah i get bored a lot during but this is a steven spielberg movie and it feels like a steven spielberg movie and like he knows how he has been doing this a very long time and he's very good at it <laughs> yeah um, I might say that Steven Spielberg is like the greatest director of all time, and I think he's made a lot of bad movies. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's made movies worse than this one. Probably. Ready Player One is like I, I think Ready Player One is just like a totally inoffensive movie. I was high for all of this. Yeah, the the one thing. You go. You look. The other. The other thing I was gonna just say is that, like, I think there's also sometimes an effect of like the the reaction to something will will always like frame your expectations to some mm -hmm. extent. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you like hear from someone like, "Oh my god, this is the greatest movie ever," mm -hmm. and then you go watch it and it's like not really that great or like mm -hmm. not really the thing, you're gonna like have a more negative experience yeah. on it than you might have if you just went in and were like, oh, that was a that was a good movie. Um, and I think the other side of that can happen where you're like, everyone's like, this is the absolute dog worst movie, like dog shit worst movie I've ever fucking seen. Mm -hmm. Like no one should ever see this movie. Mm -hmm. And then you go see it and you're like, like 
is is a movie still like it's yeah. not like <laughs> the, ch- the the like the wheels stayed on the train yeah <laughs> you know so basically what i'm saying here is that you're saying that before anyone goes to watch ready player one they should open a fortune cookie that says keep your expectations <laughs> reasonable <laughs> and then they should um take that fortune cookie the the <laughs> fortune and uh roll up some marijuana <laughs> It's going to be really small. (laughs) It's going to be really small. Um, The one thing, and I don't think this is a coherent thought, but the one thing that made me absolutely irate, (laughs) furious with this movie, and I don't think this is like a coherent thought. I don't have like an argument here, really, is that I was mad that it was like low-key just an animated movie. Yeah. Because like every time they... So they're in, like, the people are in live action, but then every time they put their VR headsets on and they go to the Oasis, they're in, um, like, like, all of that is animated. Um, You know, but also it's weird because it's, like, animated in the same sense that, like, it's only, like... If you took the Marvel movie dial and you turned it up by, like, 5%, you know? Yeah. Because, like, Marvel movies will have actors walking around in, like, green screen sets, um, like, not wearing costumes, like, just wearing mocap suits or whatever. Um, and then we'll and just l- fill everything in. Fill everything in with, like, stuff that is supposed to look real. And... This movie does the same thing with stuff that is supposed to look animated, but it is, like, the same filmmaking technique just applied to a different thing. And I got really mad about that part for some reason, that, like, it's kind of a live-action movie and kind of an animated movie, and I don't actually... I think the thing I was actually mad about is, like, I don't even know what blockface or filmmaking is anymore. Like, I don't even know what anybody's doing. Like, um... These are all my thoughts. Um, I've never in my life experienced Nora hate something more than she hated watching Ready Player One. (laughs) I normally when Nora doesn't like something, she's like, that was bad. And she like is kind of relaxed about it. She like will have her reasons why she like doesn't like something. She's pretty relaxed of it. She hated Ready Player One in, like, a way where, like, it made her, like, in a bad mood for, like, the next day. (laughs) Where she was just, like, grumbling about, oh, this fucking movie, this fucking bullshit, fucking... (laughs) (laughs) So, keep your expectations reasonable, I guess. (laughs) I'm just, I'm glad that... Uh, for me, the movie that I have that is like this is Two Guns, a movie that one cares about. Mm-hmm. Instead of you having this with Ready Player One now, um, I I guess my last thought about Ready Player One because I have read the book. Um, I think the storytelling is better in this movie. I do think that maybe like the book does certain things better. <laughs> I maybe would like give the book a I watched this and was like, you know what? 
the book is kind of a better realization of what this idea is than the movie is. Yeah. I think, like, the book just does, like, more references than the movie does. And, like... You're saying this, like, this makes it better. (laughs) I'm not saying it makes it better. I think it's, like, a better realization. And there's, like, a... It's better at what it wants to be. There's a couple, like, lore bits and, like, and, like... Like, things that get set up a little bit better in, like, a 500-page novel than a 90-minute movie. Um, I'm not making a defense of this, necessarily. It just made me remember reading the book and being like, oh, that was done better in the book, I think. Even though I think, on average, the movie is much better than the book. Just made me remember certain things. So, the topic of... racist. (laughs) So on the topic of of watching a movie and being mad at what movies are now. Yeah. Um. So another thing that we put on just because we wanted to watch something Christmassy and it was like a a kids friendly thing, um, was this new animation Robin Robin, mm-hmm. which it's on Netflix. It's like a, so I think it's from the same people who did like Wallace and Gromit and um like Chicken Run, mm-hmm. um. And I put it, like, so we went into it being like, oh, it's a stop motion animation, right? Like, that's, that's like, what these, this is what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and put it on, and I was like, oh, this is, this is 3D animated? Like, I, I was confused. Um, and we looked it up, and we're like, no, this is, like, stop motion. And it's just, I have never seen, like, stop motion animation get the kind of, like, color grading treatment that they do with modern movies now and the like lighting treatment. So there's like CG lighting effects happening to like give like more of a sense of like, you know, golden sunlight and everything. Um, no box trolls had this, I think box trolls made me think that it box trolls was uh, CG animated when it wasn't. Yeah. And like, once we looked it up, then I was like paying attention. I was like, Oh, uh, cause like most things have kind of this felt texture. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's, like, probably one of the materials that they're using to make it. And I was seeing it, and I was just like, oh, this is just, like, how you will do felt text. Like, this is, like, Little Big Planet to me. Right. What yeah. I'm looking at is Little Big Planet. Um, and then afterwards, I realized, like, oh, you can actually see, like, that the, the texture is, like, moving weirdly on this part because they're, like, you know, constantly moving the face around. And so because of that, like, a finger's going on it. And so, like, it kind of gets that, right. like, little bit of a ripple that, like, you know, fantastic. Mr. Fox, like, accentuates this because they know they're going to have it, so they're mm-hmm. just, like, everything's constantly moving. I've never seen um, that movie. It's, I mean, it's far more obviously stop motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, but yeah, and so, like, it, it was a fun little movie. I mean, it was also funny because, as I said, we've been watching Bluey, and there's, my favorite episode of Bluey is the one where the dad takes um, Bluey and her sister Bingo to go to a movie. Um, and so it's like their first time in a movie theater. Um, and Bingo, who's like the little sister is just like running havoc throughout this movie theater, just like, you know, running under people's feet and everything like, Mm -hmm. uh, just like full toddler menace. Um, and this is like Bluey for the first time, like actually following what's going on in like a story and like getting invested in it and everything. Um, but what it, part of what I like about it is that it's just like the the dads there being like, yeah, I'm just gonna like take them to see this movie, um, and so it's all the parts of like you know it starts out with like oh, but like 
this one monkey is different than the other monkeys. And then Bluey being like, what if I'm different? And then, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, but wouldn't it be bad to be different? And the dad's just like, no, but like at the end, they're going to find out that like being different is like being unique and it's special yeah. and it's a good thing to be. And like, it's just like the full, like, like the whole thing is like, this is the plot of all of these movies uh-huh. and you're like watching it and you're like, yeah, that's kind of true. And then that's just literally what Robin Robin is. So that the uh-huh. premise of it is that it's a Robin who, uh, the like egg falls out of a nest, um, and then hatches and some like mice adopt the, the baby Robin. Oh, Tokyo Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then, like, they grow up, and then all the mice are really good at sneaking, but the robin isn't good at sneaking. Um, And then, like, she's all, like, you know, feels like she's a bad mouse. Um, And then the the thing at the end is, like, one, she can use her clumsiness to cause a distraction, to distract the people, so that the, the mice can then go and steal stuff. And the other thing is, she might not be a mouse because she's a... uh, Robin, but she is a mouse because she's part of the mouse family. And their last name is Mouse. Took your godfather. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just exactly that plot. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was kind of laughing at that too. So, like, it's, there's, it's, it's a fun animation. I got kind of mad at just like that. I'm watching a stop motion animation and it's just like, it just looks like CG. Like, why do we want to make stop motion look like CG? Yeah. I just got like mad about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we should watch Nightmare Before Christmas. Anyway, uh, the main thing is that there's this like these stairs that go up. Yeah, we can watch that tomorrow. Yeah. Anyway, there's these stairs that go up um, in the like tree where so um, Robin meets a um, magpie who's like you know just collecting all sorts of shiny things. Um, the premise is that they want to go and steal a star from a, a Christmas tree because they believe that they can wish on it and get what they want. Um, but anyway, uh, so there's like these stairs inside the tree where the, the magpie lives and it's just like covered in like bottle caps and like, Mm. you know, all sorts of little shiny metal things that this magpie has, um, has like stolen throughout the years. Uh, and so, and there's a part where like he goes up and does this whole like song about how the only thing that matters is like things like you collect shiny things and that's what matters in life. Um, and of course he learns out, learns that like friends and family is more important than things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also the, the stairs come back later when there's a cat that's like trying to eat the mice and birds. Um, and like, there's a, a big, the cat going up and everything and, like the big confrontation. So the stairs are a big thing in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they could have like utilized it a little bit more. So I gave it a B. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, after we watched it, I asked Q, my toddler, what they thought of the stairs and they said good. So okay. it got a, a rating of good. Okay. Thank you. Stop motion is like a weird genre. Yeah. Cause like it kind of just like Disney just kind of invented it all of a sudden. In, like, the 90s? <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> we need to watch some Gumby. We do need to watch some When Gumby. we do the Twin Peaks podcast, we need to watch some Gumby. Yeah, that's true. Because it's Gumby just... did actually... There's, like, one episode that people reference in mm-hmm. particular because there's, like, a weird red thing. and But, like, broadly Gumby and, yeah. like, the weird surrealness of Gumby, like, was an influence on David Lynch. It's just like, 
stop motion as a genre is like such a weird thing to exist because it's like oh this is how you did 3d animation before like computers could just do that for you and now it's just like the the reason to do stop motion is that it has like a particular look that computers don't get but also, like, no one cares that much, and you have to kill yourself to make these. <laughs> yeah. Like, <coughs> they're ridiculously hard to make. And I understand why they're disappearing, but also I love them, and I don't want them to go away. But I can't, like, if I were, like, a suit, if I were an executive, I'd be like, no, you can't. What? No, just yeah. do it in the computer. <laughs> Fuck you. What are you talking about? <laughs> um. No, you can't spend the, like an entire day getting the lighting set up right. Do the fucking animation and light it with the computers. <laughs> I'm thinking of the. I was trying to see if I could find the um the name of the movie. There's one where uh it's like they're meeting Nessie, like the Loch Ness monster, and it's stop motion. Mm-hmm. A lot of I feel like really early stop motion was like king kong kind of stuff oh yeah it was like special effects yeah um and then it it moved more into like oh we're just gonna do all stop motion yeah what i mean what i'm say disney invented this in the 90s i mean that like no one had tried something like nightmare uh before christmas that's not true okay (laughs) okay there's just a much lengthier history of this okay um yeah I just think that Nightmare Before Christmas is such like a weird thing that exists. Um, I mean, I feel like Nightmare Before Christmas is even like specifically pulling from older stuff that was doing. Okay, okay. I don't know anything um, about this. I feel like one of the big ones is what's the like? Well, so one is um, does Wallace and Cromit predate Nightmare? Um, I feel like some of the old ones might. That might be um, true. No, I think about... yeah, I think that that goes back pretty. Like, is this even the correct thing? Because sometimes yeah. you'll just do it, and then it'll give you. So like eighty nine. Oh yeah, that's definitely um, pre nightmare. Yeah, there may even on... been some before, and then like there's that um, Christmas movie that like Rudolph. How oh that right, one? the Rankin and Bass stuff. Yeah. I forgot um, that's all stop motion. Yeah, okay. I'm just an idiot. I'm just talking out my ass. The thing is, I just, like, grew up with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was 1964. Yeah, we watched a lot of... I, that was the one I watched a lot. I didn't ever watch... Because um, there was a couple other ones they did um, that I did not watch as much of. Like the Christmas in Toy Island or something. Or, or there's, like, a... Frosty the Snowman one? I don't remember. Anyway. Yeah. I guess technically even The Adventures of Prince Ahmed is huh. stop motion because it's with... With the shadows, yeah. yeah. Um, the Tale of the Fox is the French one. <sighs> anyway. Anyway. Um, I'm trying to think of... There's a... a I think like Russian or, or Polish guy or something. Hmm. I'm totally drawing a blank right now. But he did, like, a uh, Alice in Wonderland thing. Oh. Um, that's, like, impressive and, and kind of creepy. 
Like his style, I would say, is a little bit more um, using it to be unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, should we talk about Bebop? Sure. I feel like you, I like was building Gunpla during most of the time I was watching Cowboy Bebop. I was half paying attention to Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. I just okay. I've ne- I've never seen Cowboy Bebop, the anime, the classic anime, Cowboy mm-hmm. Bebop. Your wife Emily was watching Cowboy Bebop, the live action Netflix show. Yeah, and... because despite the fact that she like really doesn't like anime now, uh-huh. um, she really liked Cowboy Bebop and like Utana and Escaflone and stuff in high school. She was a far bigger anime person than I was in high school. I um had come over because I was like, oh, we were gonna do stairwells. It was like Friday, I want to say we were gonna do stairwells. I'd gotten my booster the day before and still just felt like shit. Yeah, just absolute garbage. So I just kind of hung out for a little while. Uh, she was watching Bebop, so I watched Bebop. Um, I, I guess I don't have like a ton of thoughts. Um, it felt like everybody was discoursing about this because it was like, you know, uh, desecrating the sanctity of you know Cowboy Bebop and. I just don't think it's all that serious, you know? Yeah. I think it's, like, kind of a schlocky TV show that's, like, not as good as the thing you watched when you were 17, but, like, who cares? Yeah. Um, But, so, so for me, as a person who is totally divorced of, I don't know Bebop. I don't care about the sanctity of Bebop. I, I don't, I just, I don't go here. Yeah. I was I was getting irate with this show for like totally different reasons. <laughs> yeah. I was watching this show and I was like that's a lot of Dutch angles. That's a lot of Dutch. Why is every shot a Dutch angle? <laughs> and then like at one point the the thing that made me so mad cuz I was watching it and I was like wow that's a lot of Dutch angles. Wow. And this was like episode 9. I don't know, maybe, like, episodes one through eight are better, because episode nine is, like, um, an origin story thing, I guess? It seemed like it wasn't taking place in the past. Yeah. Um, so, a lot of it is around, like, the the past, like, Spike's past. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that you were seeing, like, nine is, like, going back to, like, really show, like, oh, here's who Spike was before he was Spike Spiegel. Um, and then like 10 is like a final confrontation around that. Yeah. I I also watched episode 10. 10 did not make as much of an impression on me as nine did partially because I didn't finish the episode because your wife went to bed and she was like, well, you can't finish it without me. And I was like, I guess you're right. I can't do that. (laughs) Um, anyway, so, um, um, episode. So anyway, Maybe the Dutch angles aren't as bad in the first nine episodes. Maybe because it's a flashback, they were doing more of them. You have a look on your face like maybe they were doing a lot of them. Yeah. The thing that made me just irate, it was at some point I was just like, every time I was looking at the screen, it was starting to drive me nuts how everything yeah. was this ang- these angle shots. It was like worse than the first Thor movie. And at one point, 
they do <laughs> there were there was a conversation between two characters and it was like shot at a dutch angle <laughs> reverse shot at a dutch angle yeah shot at a dutch <laughs> angle and then not only that <laughs> but then it goes into the next scene and the first shot the establishing shot of the next scene is a tracking shot at a dutch angle <laughs> And, like, going on a character who, like, wakes up and there's a guy standing above him as he wakes up. So you get this tracking shot into his face, Dutch angle this whole time, cut into another conversation of Dutch shot, Dutch angle, shot, reverse, shot. And I was like, what the fuck? There was a part where it was an extreme Dutch angle on, like, I think a woman, like, putting stuff down on the bed. And then it, it like, the camera, like... Almost like if you're like imagining like a boat rocking at sea, like it like rocked yeah. to a different Dutch angle of someone coming in the door. Too yeah, it was it was like incredible the way that they could have a Dutch angle and then move the camera into another Dutch angle um, in ways that you're like at some point I would expect it to have become level in there, but I don't think it did. I was oh, I it was just taking me out of the story to where like. <clears throat> I don't know if the story was, like, good or bad. You know, people got so mad about it online. I really couldn't tell you if I liked the story, if I liked the characters, if I liked the acting, if yeah. I liked any of that. Because I was so tuned in to the camera that I could not focus on anything else at all. I was losing it. Yeah. The, the thing is, I've watched a fair amount of Cowboy Bebop. I don't know if I watched all of it because it was, like... Back in the days where you would just catch it on, like, Adult, Adult Swim. Swim. Yeah. Um, and so there's definitely episodes I've seen many times. Um, Cowboy Bebop is c- kind of corny. And, yeah. like, I feel like there's actually, like, there is some stuff where I feel like the marketing around it actually takes things less is, like, less bought into selling you on it than the actual thing is. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, like, it doesn't have any, like, faith in the, the like, names of the characters or the world building. And I feel like the actual show did it a little bit more than, like, the marketing around it did. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's like, anime is kind of a goofy, dumb thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I have an anime podcast. I love it a lot. Um, sometimes it's just kind of goofy, and I... I I do think that, like, this isn't a great adaptation or something, but I also think there's, like, a certain, like, oh, the, like, sanctity of this thing, and I'm like, it, it's Cowboy Bebop, though? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't... Like, it was already kind of a goofy thing. The bigger thing is just that, like... This is, like, Emily was saying, watching this, too, of, like, they kind of just half-assed all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, we got a bunch of the music from the original show, but we're not like editing with the music in the way that the show sometimes would. Mm -hmm. They're just never doing that because that'd be too much work. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, we're just bringing in stuff that's not from the show and the music that's not from the show, like doesn't mesh at all Mm -hmm. with like the style of the music from the show. Um, Like it was just like this, there's just these moments where it was just like, or it's just like, you could do a little bit more to make it feel like, this is actually on a planet and they're not just like driving around New York at this point. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, yeah, there's just like stuff that felt weird and half-assed in a way where it was like, 
I don't know. Well, kind of to your point in like a different way also was that like I was watching this and like I could kind of see in the story that like like Spike is supposed to be this sort of like tragic romantic figure, you know, like, oh, look, he's like has this like terrible, sad backstory and I could see how in a 20 minute show, like you can sell both that it's like tragic and sad and also that like maybe Spike is a little like self-aggrandizing or like, like you can kind of laugh at yeah. him a little bit for being so over the top melodramatic. And the, the, the live action show just went for the over the top melodrama and none of the like was never tongue-in-cheek about it. just took that drama very seriously, and it felt a little one-note where you needed something to, like, cut all the drama or something. You know, it was just, like, very, like, intense in a way that it felt... It felt like maybe wasn't warranted or, or just needed, like, something to, like, tone it down a little bit, you know? Yeah. Anyway, stairs. I feel like there was a. I, they went up some stairs at the like final. Yes, fight. yes, they did in episode ten. Yeah. Um. Oh, one last thing about Cowboy Bebop. Like before we get to the stairs. Oh yeah. The other thing that drove me nuts is that someone told them this is Cowboy Bebop, so it needs to be stylish, and so they get do this Dutch angle thing. The other thing they do is that like. They just have like key lights that are random colors. They're not. They're color grading for sure. But the main thing they're doing is that it's like, it's Cowboy Bebop. It needs to be stylish. Someone put a blue light in this room. Yeah. <laughs> and someone on set says, why blue? And he's like, I don't know. Blue. Like, yeah. which shade of blue? The bluest you can find. <laughs> yeah. I, wa- I want R0G0B255, please. <laughs> and it's just like, why? Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so they're in the church, they're, like, um, and some gunmen are, like, shooting down at, um, Spike from this, like, half-spiral staircase, and then he, like, shoots them, and the body falls down the half-spiral staircase, and he goes up, and it, it has this really intense blue light, blue color grading thing going on, and it's a nice, it's a nice stairwell. Yeah, it's a nice stairwell. Going up to a final confrontation. I feel like we could do like a a B B minus or something. Let's do B minus. Okay. I feel like it's a you've got a really good concept here that you executed poorly. Yeah. I feel like it's a little bit more than a C. Yeah. 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 Um. So yeah, we've got more stuff, but we'll wait. Yeah, I I was gonna say just in. so that that people don't. Maybe people are already tweeting at me because I haven't talked about this yet. I did look it up. It's Jan Swankmeyer. The Alice was in 1988, the year that I was born. Do you want to look at some of these like gifts of the the animations that he does? Oh, that's cool. Um, let me let me let me get. Oh, this one's cool where it's like <laughs> shrinking down into a little doll. Um, there we go. Okay. So yeah, this is this is this vibe. Okay. All of these gifts were on Tumblr back in the day, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. Um, 
It was a good movie. You know what else is a good movie? What else? Tokyo Godfathers. I love Perfect Blue. <laughs> this this was not. This is a very different yeah. movie. Um, though the protagonist has the same face. Yeah. Well, well I, is Miyuki the protagonist? I do think that they do a good job of like evenly distributing. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Um, because I could also very easily see the argument for Hana or yeah. uh, Gin being yeah yeah. Okay, okay. I'm going to summarize. She's the one with the most protagonist face, though. Yes. She has the exact same face as the girl from Paprika and the girl from Perfect Blue. Yeah. Um, more so the girl from Paprika, I guess, but we're yeah. splitting hairs. It's just a little rounder. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, Kon Satoshi has to like, make sure that you're aware that none of these people are conventionally attractive, which means that they're all still like really not that ugly because they're anime protagonists but like for her she's just like you know she would be thinner if she was like in perfect blue you're right right um gin is is just like a rugged man mm-hmm. like i could i have friends i'm sure who have the hots for gin yes um and then i i think hana's great but hana's great yeah i think she's so cute i love her <laughs> okay i'm gonna summarize the plot of tokyo godfathers and you're going to be like, Autumn, you left out half the movie. That's because, like, uh, this is a weird movie to, like, summarize. Yeah. So. We were talking about this while we were watching it, of, like, there's the summary that's, like, here's what happens. It's really short. And then there's the trying to actually talk about everything that happens, where it's just, like, this is going to take, like, how long do you have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would, but probably it would be easier for you to watch the movie than for me to tell you everything that happens in the movie. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Hana and Gin, um, and are two homeless people who spend a lot of time with each other. Yeah. Act couple-ish are seemingly yeah. not a couple. Um, Gin is a homeless man who has some sort of like past he doesn't like talking about, and Hana is a uh, trans woman um, who, like, kind of like is often like living in like a fantasy world a little bit, where she's like, "I want to have a baby," and I'm you yeah. know I want to do this a little bit. Those those are their like kind of one note character traits, you know. Yeah, and they ha- um there's a girl. Miyuki, who has run away from home, and Gin and Hana are kind of, like, looking after her, you know? They've kind of, like, adopted her, but also seemingly kind of both know that eventually she's going to end up back with her family, you know? Yeah. So, it's Christmas. Um, Like I say, Hana wants a baby. They're, you know, scavenging for trash, and they find a baby. Yeah. Um, And... You know, Gin is like, we need to take this baby to the police. And Hana is like, no, you know, there's all these reasons I don't want to take it to the police. I want to keep it. Blah, 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 blah. They don't know what to do this baby. Yeah. And her, her, like, initial argument is just like, right now it is Christmas. Mm-hmm. I don't want this, like, baby's worst day in their life to be Christmas. So, like, yeah. let's take the baby tomorrow. Yes. I don't want her to just be passed around in a foster system. All etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. They yeah. they name this baby Kyoko. Uh, this will be significant. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
they, you know, get up the next day and Hana is like, I want to find Kyoko's mom. I think it is important for um, Kyoko to be reunited with her real family. And that's like a, that's going to be the big main theme is like your real family with these like, you know, three characters who have sort of found and made their own family. Yeah. Anyway. So, but also all have like complicated relationships with their like biological family. Yes. Or, or, I mean, also it's like Gin and his wife, but like, and then daughter, but you know, these like heteronormative, like this is what a family unit is. Yeah. They all have very complicated relationships with that in different ways. Yeah. Um, and Gin's the one that's like the most where it's just like, oh yeah, like, you know, he was a gambling addict and stuff. Um, and eventually like left the family. Yeah. Um, whereas the, I think the other two, I mean, we get some about why, um, I was about to say Kyoko, Miyuki ran away mm-hmm. from home. Um, and then I think like Hana's the one that, you, you know what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, um, I don't need to explain to people how trans people have complex relationships with <laughs> heteronormative right. family structures. Right. Anyway. <laughs> So, from here is where we can get into the really, really exceptionally short version of the plot summary. Yeah. Which is, they make this decision to go find Kyoko's mom. They hijinks like, ensue. Hijinks ensue. They find a lead. <laughs> they follow up the lead. They go somewhere else. Multiple car uh, crashes in the There's buildings. car crashes. <laughs> they run into a Yakuza mob boss, and he's like, why don't you come to my daughter's wedding today? And they're yeah. like, okay, sure, whatever. Um, and then someone gets shot, and blah, blah, blah. We learn about, like, we learn about Gin's backstory. We learn about Miyuki's backstory. We learn about Hana's backstory, et cetera, et cetera. They fight. They make up. They fight again. They make up again. Um, eventually, they find Kyoko's mom, and they give... Um, the baby to her. Okay, little bit, little bit of context here. They're they're watching TV, and they see they have a okay, okay. I'm getting, I'm reminding yeah. myself the context. Gin watches TV and sees on TV that like a, a, a news flash. This baby has been kidnapped. You know, if you know anything about this kidnapped baby, report it to the police. So Gin um, goes to, like, the address of, like, the, you know, family and, like, goes there and goes to, like, talk to whoever he finds there. Independently, because they just had a fight, Miyuki and Hana are, like, walking and Hana is finally, like, I'm going to take the baby to the police. I don't know what to do anymore. I want her to be back with her family. I think that's the right thing to yeah. do. And I, I'm thinking about her parents who must be so distraught that they're like on the verge of killing themselves. Yes. Um, In the background, you see a woman like kick off her shoes and climb up on the railing of a bridge. And I had a moment of like sheer terror Yeah. <laughs> as this happens. And they go and stop her from killing herself. And this woman sees Kyoko and is like, oh my gosh, that's my daughter. And it's a very cheerful reunion. Yeah. And they had gotten, so they had found, um, along with the baby, a key that went to like a a 
public locker mm-hmm. and they like pulled a bunch of stuff out of there and this woman is the one who's like in the photo yes as well so they're also like oh we recognize you from like the photo that we saw earlier yes of like who we're presuming to be this baby's parents yes so they give her the baby um and she's like thank you meanwhile gin is at the apartment of this family that's like oh our baby's been kidnapped and he goes and he like gets in and he starts talking to the husband and the husband's like you know my wife kidnapped this baby <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and now she she kidnapped the baby, and then she got scared, so she abandoned the baby, and now she regrets that, and so she like went to the police and was like, "Help me get my kidnapped baby back," you know. So, um, Gin is like, "I gotta find the baby." <laughs> yeah, and and this culminates in um, more car crashes happen, um, and. You know, this woman, like, who has the baby is, like, up on a roof, and she, like, she had been pregnant. She lost her baby. Yeah, it was, like, stillborn. Stillborn. She talks about, like, you know, wasn't even alive when I I had it. Yeah. So, she saw another baby in the the ward, and she just took this baby as hers. And um, she's, like... Up on up on a ledge again with this baby. She's so distraught about you know her stillborn. She doesn't know what to do. Um, and Miyuki, it, you know, is trying to talk her down. Um, it doesn't quite work. But you know, the whole family kind of like bands together and like you know, the hus the husband her husband like kind of convinces her, but she's still like decides to jump but then because she was listening to the husband for a second Miyuki is able to grab her and then you know Gin comes up and grabs Miyuki and then you know like um she accidentally loses her grip on the baby but Hana is able to grab the baby and they there's like a Christmas miracle um and they're able to save the baby and uh she's like grabs onto like a, a really it's like a sign basically but that's like presumably fabric where mm-hmm. it's like you know attached to the top and the bottom and she grabs onto the top and it like rips mm-hmm. but then a, a gust of wind like catches it like a parachute and so she just like slowly drifts to the ground yeah and, and and so you know that's the story and then the epilogue is they're all in the hospital and um you know the the baby's parents like the baby is finally reunited with its parents um and they decide to make um like, you know, Hana and Gin, the baby's godfathers, and, um, you know, the policeman who is, like, coming to talk to them about it is Miyuki's dad. And Miyuki sees her dad and is like, <gasps> and her dad is like, <gasps> and then cut to credits. Yeah. That is the very, very quick version of this plot. <laughs> that ignores Gin's backstory, Gin lying about his backstory, Gin being reunited with his daughter for the first time in 20 years. Um, that ignores, like, Hana, like, used to be a dancer at, like, a tranny bar, like, from Funeral Parade of Roses. Yeah. That ignores that, like, Miyuki stabbed her dad. <laughs> yeah. Um. The, that ignores that the real, like, crux of this film is the, like, hijinks ensuing and the watching the, the family fight and, like, you know split apart and come back together and split apart like that that is like the beating heart of this really fucking good movie yeah <laughs> um 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- this is one of those where, like, I, I really wanted to do this for the podcast because this is my Christmas movie. Um, it's also a movie where, like, I've just seen this so many times and I just love it a lot. Um, and, like, it's it's flawed. Like, yeah. this is not a, a perfect movie. There there are moments where the depiction of Hana, like, gets into, like, eh, territory yeah. with it, especially being, like, Clone Satoshi doing this. Yeah. Um, but also at the same time, like... And and also, on that note, like, the, the, the fat phobia from Perfect Blue isn't quite in, like, full force like it is in Perfect Blue, but it, like, pops its head yeah. in, and it's like, hey, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, like, all of the faces are drawn really expressively here. Yeah. Um, there's very intense expressions. Mm-hmm. Um, that can still hit slightly differently when it's, like, they're doing it with a trans woman or, like, a fat person mm-hmm. than when they're doing it with, like, Gin. There's, like, a, there are ways sometimes where they draw, like, stubble on Hana's face. Yeah. Or, like, her square facial features that feel, like, a bit mean. Or, like, yeah. a bit mean-spirited. Um, but at the same time, there's like, a. it is this weird thing where like that stuff comes up and yet also the film is like very aware of the way that like society shunts these people and that they're actually just like genuine good people. Mm. Um, that like all of the like homeless people that you see in this, uh, film are like fully deserving of respect Mm -hmm. and that like, you know, they're on the train and everyone's like covering up their noses because the you know gin in particular is the one who seems to smell bad because he's they like make a comment of how he hasn't bathed in a while or anything Mm -hmm. um but it's like here are these like the actual protagonists of this movie these like people that we're going around with and like who the fuck like we see like the perfect blue girl basically like yeah and like yeah there there's still a certain amount of like just paying attention to these people and being like no, this is awesome. Like, I, what I find so interesting about this is how so much of it is like, oh, we need to, like, reunite these people with, like, the real family. Like, that's, like, the the, the literal text of the movie. Yes. And then, like, the subtext is that, like... No, they are just a family. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that, like, they did a, a really good job of taking care of this baby. Yeah. Subtext and, like, the heaviest air quotes in that, like... The text is what the characters are literally saying, yeah. and the subtext is, like, what anyone who is watching the movie is going to, like, think about. Yeah. You know? Um, but, and part of why I, I find it, like, there's this idea of, like, found family stories, and that can be kind of fraught, but this is one that, like, works for me, and it... Oh, absolutely. And it in particular works for me because it is one where... The characters often don't quite seem to realize that they are actually in a found family. Yes. And are still dealing with and, like, trying to work through how they feel fucked up about their families. Yes. Um, And that just, like, feels extremely true to me of, like, even when you, like, recognize that you've, like, built your own little queer family. And, like, we can talk about how Gin sure seems to, despite ostensibly saying that he's straight, sure seems to be in a relationship with this trans woman. Um, <laughs> in, like, very, like, gay ways, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyway. Like, I don't think they're having sex, but I also think they're, like, married. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Anyway, um, 
Yeah, like, a lot of it rings as true. Also, this is the, like, you know, I don't cry nearly as much at this movie now that I've had, like, my toddler. Mm. After I after I finally had, like, I was able to be a mom in my own trans way, um, some of my feelings about this movie, like, uh, I still feel them, but not quite as intensely as, like, when I was first watching this movie, being like, holy fuck, I just, like, I just want a kid, like, yes, Anna, like, I'm just Anna. Um, so... That's also part of the the appeal to this movie of me is just like, like I have all of these complex feelings around like, at like, I've gone to like queer conferences where people will make this argument that like, any sort of like having a kid is like, not queer, mm-hmm. um, and I I have like had to try to come to some sort of feeling like there's like for me part of like what is queer futurity mean is like what is having a queer family that can include like children look like Mm -hmm. because i think there's like a version of like queer theory that is like oh like the true queer futurity is one without children um and that i think that like there's something between that and then like oh just the like reinstating of like you know these like heteronormative mm-hmm. uh like cis heteronormative family structures mm-hmm. um and yeah and this this is a film that like i also like i think kind of hits up that of like in some ways it is like a uh this movie is a husband wife and their like teenage daughter having a baby and raising a baby mm-hmm. um while also like acknowledging like some of the the weird tensions around that still. Well, and like the so <clears throat> the thing that like really like hit for me about this movie is that I think like sometimes and I think like I'm a person who does this. I think sometimes the ways that like I and and people around me can talk about found family is this sort of, like, unqualified, like, good thing. Just, like, it is good. Found family is good. It is always good. Yeah. And the family you are born to does not have to be good. And, like, you know, if it is not good, then you can just break that off, you know? And and the thing that really hits for me about this movie is sort of, like, I find the reality of, like, I have, like, a found family, you know? And and the reality of having that in my life is that my family that I was born into did not just magically disappear one day. That I still talk to my dad sometimes, and it is fraught, and we do it. Yeah. And then I talk to my mom and it is fraught in different ways. And I, the thing that was really like just hitting me about that aspect of this movie is that like these characters have found their own family, but they still have to work through like the, like 
there is not just a clean break where you were with this family yeah. and now you're with this family. This is a big thing that comes up with, with Gin is like, Gin's lie is that his wife and child died. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. We find out later on. Yeah. Um, when he like meets her in particular, like his, his daughter and it's like, Oh, <laughs> like you were lying the whole time. Yeah. And um, like, I'm, uh, I like Gin. Sometimes like to look at the past and wish I could just wipe it clean. Yeah. You know, that is like an impulse that I have. And I like the way that Tokyo Godfathers is sort of about like always living in relationship to the past, even when you do not want to, even when you do not have to. Yeah. You do, <laughs> you know, um, and you know, the other, the other part that just hit was that like, these characters have fights. Yeah. Then they make up and they have more fights and then they make up. Like it yeah. just, it works. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I think even like in terms of their, like, you know, the, their quote unquote real family that everyone mm-hmm. keeps referring to. Like Hannah's the one who's the most clearly just like fully estranged from like yes. having any way to even like possibly get in touch with. Hannah's backstory is that she was, um, she did not know her real mother, that she was like passed around on a foster care system. Yeah. Such that, like, it sounds like maybe she has some foster parents that she could reconnect with, but it doesn't, it sounds like she moved around in the system enough that, like. Yeah. And we meet the person who she probably most likely thinks of as, like, mother, which is the, like, trans mother the like you know the the madam of the the place at funeral parade of roses yeah Yeah. um and so but like and then like she still has to like have that and that that seems to actually be more healthy of a relationship that she has with like that person than like gin has or that um miyuki currently has Mm. um but is like perhaps going to be able to you know, reconnect more than like Gin was really able to. Yeah. Um, and so like all of them like have different levels that they might be able to like re-engage with other people. But then, yeah, like you're also saying it's like the family that they have found seems more like good mm-hmm. than some of the families that they're coming from. Like, especially in Hana's case, if she's mm-hmm. just like hopping around from a bunch of foster homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also as you were saying, there is this like, but it's not just like, oh, they're just fine all the time. And it's mm-hmm. just perfect. Like, no, like all families take work to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's like also part of what's just going like, even the, the like woman who had the stillborn child, that mother mm-hmm. who's like grieving the loss of her kid and, you know, stole this other kid from like the maternity ward. Um, even like, she has like has done there's like work that she needs to do with even just with her husband of like building that family mm-hmm. and dealing with what's going on with her and her like relationship to also not being able to like you know she's the one who's like i think most directly drawn to to like or paralleled with like hana of like these two women who aren't able to have a child or mm-hmm. at least like a, a troubled yeah. relationship to motherhood yeah um and so, yeah, I think it's this thing too that's just like it. I think it does a, a 
especially in that like draws like here are these other like even her the like most villainous of the the characters here is still just like someone who's like struggling with mm-hmm. relationships to family mm-hmm. um and will like hopefully be able to like work on the family that she has as well so i think some of this too is just like all families are are work and sometimes there's a family where you're like i don't know if it's worth it anymore but like um i think part of why the, this movie is like continues to to hit for me is the fact that it's just like no like you know even the found families you have to work on right yeah like you have to work on all families they're not great all the time like all relationships are things that you just have to like continue to engage with and like tend to mm-hmm. um so well and like um the um oh we, we also didn't say the thing about why naming the baby kyoko is important which is that that's also gin's daughter's name yeah hana just is like oh i want to name her kyoko and um miyuki like that's a dumb name and gin gets like really defensive like i think kyoko is a beautiful name shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> yeah um um oh yeah the, the 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 other thing i wanted to say about like found family stuff also was just that like they're so they spend so much of the movie preoccupied with we got to get her back to her real family quote unquote blah blah blah, blah. And, and we've seen that family takes work and then I think there like I think there's a different version of this movie that like oh found family takes work but your real family that's just that's blood like you know um, it'll always work out and I like that the movie leaves that as an open question you know like. The, the the last thing that happens is Miyuki sees her dad. They are reunited. They're going to have a conversation. We don't know what that conversation yeah. is. It's also both of them gasping, which we see her doing when she, like, the train that they're on stops and then another train stops because there's, like, so much snow built up that they have to, like, clear the tracks or whatever. She sees that her dad is in the other train car that, like, just pulled up and, like, freaks out and then, like, jumps out the other window and runs away. Um, and so it could also, you like, we've seen the frenetic energy of this movie. It could totally be, like, literally two seconds after it, like, goes mm-hmm. to the outside. Like, we then see, like, Miyuki leaping out of a window or something. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think the movie is building towards she will choose to reconnect with her family in some way. But that will take work. She stabbed yeah. him. yeah. It's he's not like gonna be okay with that. Yeah. And the movie also presented us like Gin getting a choice to reconnect with family and it's not like oh now he's just like her dad and they're gonna, you know Yeah. Like he's gonna move back in with her mom and yeah. whatever. Like it's just like He's gonna call her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he was still kind of even in that moment lying of like, Yeah, I work for the recycling, recycling. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I feel like it, it just gives you enough of, like, here are even situations where it might be this, like, more, like, idealized form of family, um, but still is not, like, and it's perfect, mm-hmm. um, in a way where, yeah, none of it feels just, like, like, the most is, like, the baby goes back to the, the two parents, and we don't really get much of them other than they seem nice, and they're, like, well, we want to make them the godfathers. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cops like, 
uh, yeah, I hear that they're like three homeless people. Like, let's yeah. go. And then opens in and is like, oh my God, my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we end. So, um, um, I love, I, I love also the way that this movie, um, and you kind of touched on it earlier. Like the, the respect that this movie has for these like three homeless people. Um, it feels like another like huge aspect of this movie is just the like, every character that you come across has like a backstory quote unquote and like to put it in like you know anime storytelling terms or you know backstories are more than just yeah anime but like to put it in like storytelling terms like everybody has a backstory every character that you meet every person you see in this movie has something going on with them and that's like true in real life where you know like I talk to a customer for three seconds and I'm just like, that's that asshole who ordered a grande vanilla latte. But like that person goes home and they have like a family that they have a complicated relationship with. And like, you know, all sorts of stuff happening in their lives that I don't know anything about. And like, that's constantly happening. Like you just, they meet a cab driver and he's like, Oh yeah, my wife, the old ball and chain, you know? And he's got like this, stuff going on with his wife and they crashed his cab they owe him one and i think they're gonna repay him somehow yeah (laughs) i think they're gonna do right by that cab driver who they turned over um yeah it's funny there's so many people in this a lot of the the random people that you'll see are just like um really like putting down these three homeless people Mm -hmm. um you know i said the people on the train like covering their noses but like there are multiple instances like Ging gets beat up by some kids being like, we're going to take care of the trash basically. Mm-hmm. Um, also like some guy in a like convenience store basically like yells at them. Um, so like we, we get like these various instances of like, here are these like very cruel people. Um, and most of the people who are just like, end up being really nice to them are people who they like do something for first. Like the Yakuza boss who like invites them to his, uh, daughter's wedding. Um, this on the day of my daughter's wedding, (laughs) (laughs) um, is like trapped under his car because, you know, we get like the series of events where he ended up, the car rolled over him, but then they like help him out. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of the people like get helped by them and then they're like, Oh, like, you know, you've helped me now. I will like help you. I feel like that cab driver is the one that's just like, yeah, I'm going to, you're trying to save a baby. Like, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) He's just the most like, (laughs) I love that cab driver. It's a poor guy. Um, Or like, or like, so they go to this Yakuza wedding and, um, this guy who is dressed like, uh, who is dressed like a woman, who also coincidentally looks like the exact same girl from Paprika or Perfect Blue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um, takes a wig off Colin and suddenly... has a, a, a face that he likes to draw a lot, I think. <laughs> yeah. And, and takes off a wig and now he's a guy who does just looks like an anime person. Um, yeah. So, um, there's, a, there's a Yakuza wedding and there's this guy dressed as a waitress and he shoots, tries to shoot the Yakuza boss who they saved, ends up shooting yeah, the Yeah, the Yakuza boss's 
I forget if they're trying to shoot he's, the Yakuza boss or the, the groom who's the... He's trying to shoot the Yakuza boss, but the groom, like, okay. jumps in front of the way. Oh, yeah. And the part of it, too, is the groom. So one of the things that keeps happening in this yeah. movie is that it is, like, very Christmas movie in terms of, like... It's a Christmas miracle. Yeah. There's just, like, constant, like, small Christmas miracles down to every time that you'll see, like, a series of numbers, it's 1225. Uh-huh. Um, and then, like... We've talked about the two Kyokos, but they're just, like, random people named Kyoko that they keep encountering. Um, like, that name just keeps coming up. Um, yeah, and so then, like, the the Yakuza boss who they save, his daughter is getting married to the owner of the nightclub that they found the business cards for that the, like, mom worked mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's all this, like, they just, like, keep happening into, like oh, here's this, like, other connection that's mm-hmm. gonna, like, continue us on our... Like, a lot of this is, like, these three homeless people trying to find, uh, like, solve a mystery of who's the, like, parents of this baby. Um, but every every step of it is just, like, they get to the, the like, one maybe obvious thing, and then they just completely stumble into, like, a new clue. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, um, like... But anyway, back to the shooting. The shooting. So... Then the shooter, trying to get away, like, grabs Miyuki and, like, takes her hostage and, like, takes her home with him. Um, And they get there and, like, he is, I believe, Mexican. Uh, I, like, I, the audio mixing was weird and I couldn't hear him very well. Um, But in the next scene, you see, like, his sister or maybe his partner. uh, And she had, like, a Mexican. The vibe I got was wife because or like partner yeah. because yeah um he takes uh miyuki and miyuki has the baby Kyoko oh, right then. right um and then the the um i'm assuming his partner yeah is like breastfeeding uh Kyoko and then yeah and Kyoko. um so yeah i i could hear her a little better and she had like a mexican or guatemalan accent anyway um and like you meet these two characters and you're like, what, what are they doing in Japan? Why are there, why are these two? Like they don't speak Japanese. They're hired killers. What are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> or he's a high hired killer. She's just raising a baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and we, we just get like, you just like drift into these people's lives for like two scenes. And they're having like a very full life. That could be its own movie. Yeah. I would love to see the movie about these two. Um, and there's a really like cute scene of like, and I wish that I wish there were subtitles in Spanish because when I was able to hear her, I could like be like, oh, I understand what she's understand what she's saying because clearly they did not write very complicated lines for her because no one spoke Spanish on yeah. <laughs> the production side. It doesn't seem like. I... I'm realizing in this moment, I wonder if it... So, I just remembered that when I went to do the subtitles, there's also, uh, like, for hearing impaired one, and then I just did the, like, oh. four when doing it with the original language track. I wonder if that one would have had it, or if they would have just done the thing of speak Spanish. I, either way. Yeah. Um. It, but, but, yeah, like, there's just a really good scene of, like, her speaking in Spanish and Miyuki speaking in Japanese and like trying to like, you know, bridge this like language barrier that I just think is like really touching. And then Hana is like, 
oh, there you are. There's you and the baby. Let's go. We got to go find the mom. And like they leave the movie. Yeah. And I'm like, I just want the movie about those characters yeah. now. <laughs> you were so surprised when the Yakuza were just out of the movie. Was I was like not surprised. <laughs> I was surprised that the Yakuza were in the movie. As soon as the Yakuza showed up, I was like, I bet you that they're here for like eight minutes and then gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the shock was them showing up, not them leaving. Okay. <laughs> you know, I thought maybe they're going to show up one more time. The, the other thing was that like, there's a certain point where like they're, you know, chasing the the woman who stole this baby to begin with, and they like run into this person again, and that person helps them out, and then oh, they run into the cab driver again, and the cab driver helps them out. And I thought they were gonna slowly run into every single person they did seen in the movie. We're yeah. like, oh my gosh, there's the there's the bride from the wedding, and she's gonna like, you know, <laughs> six yakuza are gonna pile into a clown car and help us out. <laughs> Um, that's what I thought was going to happen yeah. for a minute. Um, we haven't talked about how this is the most gorgeously animated movie ever. Yeah. Uh, it turns out, I don't know if you've heard this, but, but, uh, Kone Sadoshi, he, uh, does some really good animation. Well, okay. So <laughs> the first, the first of his movies that I saw was Paprika, which is like very lavishly animated, very lavishly animated. But it's all in service of, like, fantasy and dream sequences and, like... Oh, I just remembered that Paprika has the intense fat phobia stuff, too. Um, anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Welcome to anime. Well, yeah, it just happens yeah. to show up in all of his stuff. But anyway, yeah, neither here nor there, I guess. It sucks, but there's nothing to do about it. I'm like, does it come up in Millennium Actress? Um, I feel like everyone's just... Maybe it does. But, but yeah, all this stuff in Paprika is there because that movie just looks otherworldly. Yeah. And seeing him, like, turn all of that budget, all of that care and attention, all of those, like, varied techniques onto just, like, people's faces and, and movements and acting is so good. Yeah. Because this also... The, the budget for this movie is considerably higher than Perfect Blue, I would bet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Perfect Blue is still... Like, I love Perfect Blue so much. Mm-hmm. And Perfect Blue is also doing more of it for, like, a sense of unreality. Yes. Um, yes. This is the one that feels the most... Well, so Millennium Actress, is, like, uses it a lot to move between what's happening in, like, the present day in the interviews to, like the the footage of the stuff that she was acting in um like the different movies and to like blend those together i feel like this is the one that you can most obviously see like oh you could just do a live action of this and yet it would just lose so much of like Mm -hmm. character to again like the faces are everything in this movie yeah well you you know and um we talked about in aeroplane um you know like only yesterday looking the way that it does because they, you know, did this amazing thing where they recorded all of the dialogue first and then tried to animate the faces to match how the actors had done the dialogue rather than the yeah. reverse, which is how a lot of a- uh, animation is done. Um, and there are scenes in this movie, I don't know that, that, that this is what they did, but there are scenes in this movie that are, like, so well 
acted and so like subtly acted in the animation that you're like, it looks like stuff from only yesterday. And then 10 seconds later, when somebody is like getting excited, their face is like stretching and squishing yeah. and like, you know, moving out of proportion and, and, and or, you know, you do these shots that are really close up that are really detailed and then you comedy zoom out and there's like no detail. It's just like, yeah. you know, outlines of people that are like blurry and like <laughs> moving around and like, like motion blurred the shit out of things. The part and... that's always the funniest to me, you pointed it out as well, like watching it for the first time, um, is throughout most of this movie, just like the models are so meticulously animated for all these expressions and all the like words that they're saying at the very beginning, there's the children's choir singing and it's just like three different <laughs> mall shapes. And they're just like crossfading. And, like, clearly they just like put all the work into the rest of it. And they're like, Oh, we gotta, we gotta animate the ch- children's choir here. We have to have like 20 kids all mouthing the same words at the same time. Um, fuck this. <laughs> Well, the the thing that blows my mind about this is that it is like a a TV anime staple thing, right? Yeah. Which is like a perfectly static shot. Nothing is changing about it except the mouth shape. That's a thing you see in anime, TV anime all the time mm-hmm. where nothing is moving except the mouth and there's just, just like have to do the the one cell of different models. That's all you have to yeah, draw. Yeah, like two or three there's like different, different mouth shapes. Yeah. The thing that blew my mind about this was that in, in any show, they would just draw different mouth shapes or, or draw two mouth shapes and like move between them. Yeah. Or maybe, yeah. maybe if they're like <laughs> stepping it up, there might be a couple in-betweens. Yeah. Between mouth shapes. What this was doing was crossfading yeah. the two mouth shapes, which is an insane thing to do. It looks stupid and ridiculous. They were crossfading mouth shapes. Why would you do that? <laughs> Who had this idea? They should be fired. It was probably Kosatoshi. <laughs> Um, I just love it because you see it and you're like, wow, that was poorly animated. And then the rest of the movie is what it is. <laughs> Anyway, this is also just like the most what I want from a Christmas movie, which mm. is it's just like cars crashing into building on three well, different it's occasions. It's just like nonstop Christian, uh, <laughs> nonstop Christmas miracles. Yes, um, it's like the the kind of like logic that you only accept if it's like a very Christmassy thing. Where it's just like, well, yeah, of course there's gonna be another Christmas miracle. Like it's Christmas. Um, <laughs> But like, the other reason why I like it is because, as I said on the Hot Singles episode of the Christmas music, um, I don't think you can like not be a little bit fucked up about Christmas. And I think that's also true about families. I think everyone's at least a little bit fucked up about family. Yeah. And this is a movie that says both of those things at once. Mm-hmm. You're a little bit fucked up about Christmas and also families. <laughs> there is a, um, I listened to an advice podcast. It used to go by Dear Prudence. Now it goes by um, Big Mood, Little Mood. Um, there's an old episode somewhere where, like, a, a question writer writes in as, like, I, I think it's a husband and wife. Could be, a, you know, husband and husband, wife and wife, but whatever. He writes in and he says, like, my wife was saying this thing to our, like, four-year-old daughter, and I just thought it was so, like, 
not okay, and I wanted our daughter to, you know, hear this other message from me because I really just want our daughter to, like, have a normal relationship to food. Because, like, my wife and I both have, like, you know, complicated, like, eating disorders or, like, almost eating disorders, and I just want our daughter to have a normal relationship to food. And, and Daniel Lavery, the person who hosts the podcast, like, starts with, like, I think you need to get rid of that as a goal. <laughs> I, I think you should not set your goal as my daughter will never have a complicated relationship to food. Yeah. Everybody has a complicated <laughs> relationship to food. Even if, like, you and your wife did everything perfectly, you know television would exist yeah. and would create society a, exists. <laughs> and would give your daughter a complicated relationship to food so yeah. maybe like abandon this as a goal <laughs> yeah it's, it's similarly like your your daughter is going to have a weird relationship to family your daughter is going to have a weird relationship to christmas <laughs> yeah this is like one of the things so i'm intentional about like in public things like on podcasts or Twitter, even my locked Twitter, like I don't say my toddler's name. If we do accidentally say it in recording, we like bleep it out or remove mm -hmm. it. Um, in those things too, I often will just always say they. Mm -hmm. And I say that also in like day-to-day -day life, but not like fully consistently. Mm -hmm. um, and part of this is like, I think sometimes I do that and people might think that we're like doing the full genderless parenting. And I kind of think that like, most often I see cis people doing the, like, we're doing the full genderless parenting. And I think that they're just deluding themselves that they can, like, spare a child from, like, the from gendered stuff. Because yes. you send the, that child to daycare and that, like, daycare person is going to change that child's diaper and then know what, like, sex that child was assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. And then even if you're like, no, we're doing the genderless parenting, they're still just, like, inherent like thing like biases that are built into people where they still might be more likely to like hand the child a doll or a truck when they're like trying yes. to divert from and so i'm like there's stuff where i don't want to like in public things just like fully plaster a bunch of stuff about my kid or like i want to also have where like if more stuff comes up then it's like easier for them to change things with in a way that it's not like oh publicly huge like huge here's like you know, the way I often talk about it is, like, statistically speaking, my toddler is probably this. Mm-hmm. He's probably cisgender. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but anyway, and so it's this thing of, like, I would rather just, like, try and do some stuff where it's just, like, I think a lot of kids are probably going to be fucked up about how much information is about them on the internet when they, mm. like, don't even have any concept of what the internet is. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm trying to minimize that, and I'm also, like, trying to minimize exactly how much, like strangers get to gender my child yeah um but at the same time like i would rather acknowledge that that's like a part of like yeah society that they are going to have to contend with in one way or another Every, everybody has their own relationship yeah to everyone's fucked up about gender yeah. yeah yeah even if you don't know it you are yeah perhaps especially if you don't know it um hi lem this is why Connor and I get along pretty well is because Connor fully understands despite being like firmly a cis dude mm -hmm. that he's also fucked up about gender. 
and that like being a cis dude is a thing that like is as much like fucked up contending with your own gender as realizing that you're trans is just really like no i fully do identify with this thing that's like the top of the like gender patriarchy chain <laughs> i forgot um, to mention to you um quickly um i met um listener of the show aiden this week um he's lovely and um i also met aiden this week and uh, he mentioned that um lem is his favorite podcaster so you heard it here yeah hi lem Lem is just headbutting my hand, which is a huge improvement over his normal misbehavior. Yeah. Anyway, do we want to rate the stairwell and then... Um, what is the stairwell? They're, they're running upstairs in the, like, office building where they yeah. crash the cars. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any other major stairs. I feel like the stairs aren't, like, a big thing here. Yeah. No. I love this movie a lot, but I don't think this is a, a S stairwell. No. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a Final Fantasy VII thing a little bit. Yeah. Except I would probably rate Final Fantasy VII higher because it's way funnier in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm Final sure Fantasy VII Remake. This movie's so... What is going on? Did you get your claw stuck? Okay. Well, you got it unstuck. <laughs> You alright? My man's just did a flip. <laughs> we did a barrel roll out of that that claw stuck. Um I'm sure there there might be other stairs, other places, but this movie is like at times so frantic that like it could just literally be like three steps bond bounding mm-hmm. up in a gi- giant staircase. Yeah. And like it's over in like a second. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna give this maybe like a C plus or B minus. Like you gave it, you yeah. turned in the assignment, but you know you didn't really stand out. Yeah, let me see what it. What I just want to like compare with. I f- I feel like C plus is probably good because B minus is what we did to Cowboy Bebop, and I I think that that story was a little bit more significant to the story. Yeah, so. Um, there we go, C+. We have some questions, right? We got one from M, at least. Um, um you're just cradling my cat now. We also got, uh, we got an email from Crystal for Poptown Funk that I could probably read on this podcast, too. Um, um okay. Where was Goofy on January 6th, 2021? I, I, um... It's a capital riots joke. <laughs> I didn't get it on the air either, and so I was hoping that I could do it on this podcast and you would get it on air and have something funny. I also killed the joke dead like you did. Yeah. <laughs> Nora understood it, though, so... Um, oh, right. And that's not a date that is seared in my memory because it didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. <laughs> M asks... Why are constant low-scale cultural battles fought over whether some other Christmas... Let me take another round of this. Why are constant low-scale cultural battles fought over whether some movie that takes place around Christmas is a Christmas movie or not? Just watch fucking Miracle on 34th Street and be happy, or If It's a Wonderful Life and be sad, whichever suits you. (laughs) 
I have not seen It's a Wonderful Life in many, 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 many years. At first I was about to be like, I've seen it many times, just not recently. I probably saw it when I was very little and haven't since. Um, um, I'm probably more familiar with It's a Wonderful Life through like parody than yeah, the actual film. At this point, I've, I would probably think of that more immediately, parody stuff. Yeah, like um, Simpsons episodes or like other stuff like that. Then. Yeah. My serious answer here is that um, people are just talking about different things when mm. they're having these battles, um, which is one is like Christmas movie as like a, a proper definition of a genre that people have in their heads mm. of this is like what constitutes a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like that's a thing where I would say like, yes, like Tokyo Godfather's falls into that because not only is it taking place around christmas but like it has other tropes of the genre like the christmas miracle Mm -hmm. and things um and that it is like also in some ways you know i think what it's more about is the stuff around family and um all of that but it's also like we joked when i was watching it of like yeah, there was a time where I was far more fucked up about watching the the movie about a trans woman being like, well, if the Virgin Mary can still have a baby, why the fuck can't I? Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, you know, I think it's also tying in some other stuff that is around Christmas, even as it's not, like, a super Christian Christmas movie. It's still, like, Mm -hmm. contending with some of what Christmas means and, you know, this idea. Like, Christmas is a kind of fucked up holiday and that we're celebrating the the birth of a baby that we mostly like because he then died for us mm-hmm. <laughs> um so yeah this is like a, a movie that is like talking to some degree about christmas is also having tropes around christmas um but also people just like movies and sometimes you watch a movie because you associate it with christmas and sometimes that's because christmas happens during the movie mm-hmm. um like i watched black christmas and if i'm talking about genre of christmas movie i would not say that black christmas is a christmas movie mm-hmm. but also the entire movie takes place during christmas and it's in the fucking title yeah this and is... so it's like i think it's just some people are saying like no here's the specific genre that i care about that is christmas movie and i care about the genre of christmas movie which has these tropes and mm-hmm. that has these like markers and is about these themes and then someone else is saying well, sometimes I want to watch a good action movie and when it's Christmas time, I'm going to watch Die Hard because I like action movies and right. it's the Christmas action movie. And like the the real thing is, it's just like, watch, like for me, it's like watch whatever movie you have, like the fond memories of like, it's this time and I want to watch this movie, mm-hmm. which also includes like both of us in our own way, watch Star Wars around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um like independently we have landed on the original star Wars is a Christmas movie, not because of any content of it, but because at some point, like in Emily and I's head, star Wars is just a Christmas thing. Yeah. Like we just watch it with family and we're seeing family at Christmas. And so we like watch Christmas. We watch star Wars during Christmas and you have like with Nora, you watch the one star Wars movie. Yeah. Whereas for, for Emily and I, it's just generally any Star Wars movie you can watch at Christmas. <clears throat> yeah, and like the actual, the actual thing I think about 
Like, like to hit on Die Hard, which is always the one that people are fighting low-scale culture wars about. Yeah. It's the big one here. I, I genuinely feel like if you're thinking about the, like, genre of Christmas movie, which is like, you know, there's the Christmas miracles, there's the themes of family, there's like, you know, families breaking apart and coming together again, there's, you know, um... I had another thing that I was going to hit on, and I don't remember. Anyway, there's like, I think I think Die Hard hits the tropes of the Christmas movie genre. I think, like, Die Hard is intentional about the Christmasness of it. Yeah. That's not really why Die Hard is a Christmas movie, to me. That, like, I think that genuinely, like, I could make that sort of detached and logical argument. The real reason that Die Hard is a Christmas movie to me is that I watched Die Hard over Christmas with my family a couple times. Yeah. Like, a couple different years, we were like, hey, you know, haha, Die Hard's a Christmas movie, let's watch Die Hard. And also, coincidentally, Die Hard is a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, truly, one of the best. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, Nora and I, on December 25th, we're going to stay home. I'm going to roast a chicken. I'm going to make potatoes. I'm going to make cranberries. And we're going to watch Star Wars. Because that's what we do on Christmas, is we watch Star Wars. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it's, it's the distinction between, like, what is the, like, the genre of Christmas movie? And then what is Christmas movie as in a movie that you associate with Christmas and you watch during Christmas? Mm-hmm. Um, and those are like, that second one is a far more personal one. Mm -hmm. And that, the, the first thing, the like genre one is one that is still like contended space. And then I think what happens with especially Die Hard is that it's like enough of kind of both that like, there are the people who have it in that second sense of like, this is just a movie that I associate with Christmas and I watch at Christmas and I like watching at Christmas. Um, but it also has enough in it that is like you can point towards the genre or you can be like, Oh, but it's kind of this genre. And then the people who are like, really care about like, no, here's like, I love the Hallmark Christmas movies every year or whatever. Like mm-hmm. get out of here with your diehard. This is like, you know, I mean, that's the other thing. The other thing that my mom and I would watch all the time is we watched diehard and we would also have a day where we would like split a bottle of wine and watch like three Hallmark Christmas movies, you yeah. know, and they're terrible. They're all the same plot about a woman, like a, you know, girl boss goes to her hometown and meets a, you know, down home country boy and falls for him. And, you know, they're all kind of that. And I love them. I love those movies. (laughs) Um, I mean, this is the other thing that I'm kind of thinking here, too, that I think is also perhaps tangled up in, like, why this becomes a debate, which is the same reason of, like... Within, like, more pulpy novel spaces. Mm-hmm. Like, romance as a genre is one that is looked down on because it's viewed as feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there can also be contested space around, like, the things that get called romance novels because it's something that a guy likes. Mm-hmm. And that is, like, not viewed as this, like, inferior, you know, mm-hmm. heavy scare quotes here. But mm-hmm. uh, heavy inverted commas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for, for yeah. our listeners for across our the pond. Listeners. Yeah. <laughs> we, we see you, Regs. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so I think some of that also gets 
tangled up because I I think there is also a type of Dubro that's like, yeah, Die Hard is a Christmas movie mm. because of like Christmas movies are dumb, but yeah, Die Hard's good. But Die Hard's good because it's an action movie. Yeah, and so I think that's also one of the the things that comes up in it that like makes it an even worse. Mm. Especially in the case of Die Hard, but that like it also contributes to this low, yeah. low stakes battle because I think especially if genuinely you are like no Christmas movies to me are Hallmark Christmas movies, um, and I have like this purest sense of the genre, and then you have people being like, well, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. like it does feel a little bit in that like well mine's legitimate because it's like a good action movie yeah um that's like in the yeah. way that people will be like oh romance that's not serious like sci-fi and it's like no both of them are like sci-fi and romance are like uh, honestly operating in very similar spaces it's just what's the audience and so what gets legitimacy mm-hmm. you know so i think that's also a factor here well are you I... trying to do like a very serious answer of <laughs> also to like to kind of tie stuff together talk about why we're doing 2046 next week which is a movie that neither of us have seen yeah. Which in some ways sort of betrays this definition of Christmas movie that I gave, you know, the, yeah. like Christmas movies about tradition, you know, um, I picked 2046 because like, um, I, um, have a lot of Christmas movies that I have a relationship with that either I didn't want to podcast about because I didn't want to like, sort of like make an intellectual exercise out of like my relationship to this Christmas movie or, or, you know, like, you know, having a complicated relationship to my family end up having like a complicated relationship to, um, you know, like this movie, like, you know, national lampoons holiday vacation. Um, I have like a weird relationship to it because it's like, you know, a movie that I associate so strongly with my family and like, you know, um, and and I just, I think that like perhaps the most important part of Christmas and the most important part of like a lot of life is like ritual and like routine and all these sorts of things. And like you and I are kind of like celebrating like a combination Christmas Yule thing yeah and so i was like well let's just watch something we haven't seen because like this is like a new tradition and so let's just watch like a different thing you know yeah um the thing is i'm gonna have us keep trying to do like one pick each for uh for like the holidays Uh uh-huh um because also like catch me doing an in the mood for love episode every year (laughs) (laughs) well like and i just think that like some of it will be like, like who knows? Next year, maybe I'll do Black Christmas, even though it's not like really that much of a Christmas movie. But I think we'll have fun talking about it. Uh-huh. So I think we'll like really start veering into like, yeah, we're doing a Christmas movie because they say Christmas like twice in the movie. Yeah. Um, but I think it'll be fun. As just like that—that that was the thing. We'll get to me talking about Black Christmas on the next episode. But mm. like, I picked it just because I wanted to watch something Christmassy, and then I was on Criterion Channel, and then I ended on. A not very Christmassy thing, but it was specifically because I was just trying to find something like what's something related to Christmas, and then I added ended on like one of the very first slasher films. <laughs> so it's also <laughs> like it's just a fun exercise to like get myself to watch something else that I might yeah. not normally watch because I I don't really have a lot of like 
This is my Christmas movie. Yeah. Tokyo Godfathers is my Christmas movie. That yeah. and Star Wars, whatever Star Wars movie. Yeah. Any Star Wars movie. It doesn't yeah. matter. Star Wars. <laughs> um, I mean, I also have the Star Wars movie that I watch at Christmas every year. Yeah. Which someday you will. We're, we're cycling through our friends slowly but surely. And you will someday have to watch the Star Wars holiday special with us. Yeah. Someday your number that. will come up. I welcome that. <laughs> um, you know, they will be next year. <laughs> I feel like there might be a few people before me, but I, we we'll don't see. we don't plan this very well. Yeah. Um, so someday the bell. Don't ask who for whom the bell tolls. The Star Wars holiday special tolls for thee. <laughs> um, it's a hell of a podcast we recorded. Yeah. I am kind of excited for when that day comes because the very first time that you did it, I tried to watch along and I was like, one, it's just weird listening to podcasts at normal speed, mm-hmm. which I had to do to like watch and listen. And I was like, I feel like I can just listen to this and get what's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I've never seen it. And now I just feel like I'm going to wait until very first time seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> Someday I hope... I don't know who this is going to be. I feel like maybe if we had Crystal on, I feel like of all my friends, Crystal is the one person who, like, if I had to, like, put down $5, I would say Crystal's maybe the one who's seen the Star Wars Holiday Special. I don't know why I think that. I just think that. Yeah. Um, But I feel like someday we're going to have somebody who's like, yeah, I watched it before. Let's go. Um, <laughs> There's some... There's some Star Wars like Lego holiday special or something that it every time that we open up Disney Plus to yeah. uh watch Bluey that I see and then I just shake my head and I'm like, that's not the real Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> Did you see though that they put um the the tale of the faithful Wookiee or something? You'll be able to hear about this on the episode. But apparently the animated Boba Fett segment of the Star Wars Holiday Special has made its way to Disney+. Plus. That is it. They have not put the whole thing on Disney+, Plus, just the animated part. Hmm. And it is a better transfer of the nice copy on YouTube. So, um... Like... What's going on? Clearly someone somewhere <sighs> at Disney has, like you know, original prints or negatives or something. That shit was put on tape. I don't know. What are I talking about? Negatives. Um, somebody has, somebody the, has power. the umatic. Yeah. Somebody has the power to at least partially restore um, the Star Wars holiday special and has elected only to do um, the, the fucking animated bit. Yeah. So anyway, you want to wrap this episode? No, yeah. No more questions. No more questions. Okay. Have fun <sighs> editing this tomorrow and getting it up right away, or editing it tonight. Um. Did we say anything that we need to redact at all? I don't think so. Then I'm gonna take your laptop into the next room. I'm going to put a song at the start of it and the song at the end of it, and I'm going to upload it tonight before I go to bed. Okay. Uh. You can find me at Foxwomnia on Twitter. Um, also, for all the Garf heads out there, there may be a return of Garfield Read Aloud. The return. Plan. 
yeah, Garfield read aloud the return, the return land. Someday I'm just going to grab your phone and I'm going to read Garfield aloud. Don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the pl- If that was the plan, that was not the plan because you didn't inform me that was the plan. <laughs> Please enjoy the sound of Lem trying to break out. Um, where can people find you? Oh my god. <laughs> Get over here. Where can people find you online so we can end the podcast? At a terminal underscore coffee. All the podcasts at exportodd.io. That's got a list of the podcasts to the free feeds. Or you can give us a dollar a month and get access to most of the shows um, a week early. You get what you this... should really do is do five dollars. I'm doing the plugs, ma'am. <laughs> you get this show a week early. You get Batman a week early. You get Lord of the Rings a week early. You get hot singles a week early. So many things a week early on the Patreon, $1 a month. Or, for $5 a month, you can listen to our new podcast, um, which the second episode is going up tomorrow. This is a Patreon-exclusive podcast. Our first ep- it's called Pop Town Funk, where we roll random Funko Pops and then have to... Um, talk about like the movies that like are inspired the Funko Pops uh, Nora's phrase exploring the Funko media canon um, our first episode we got Andre the Giant so we watched The Princess Bride our second episode we got um, Max Goof so we watched a goofy movie our third episode which we just rolled and I can say this now because by the time that people hear this Pop Town will be up I assume well um, not if you upload this right now but Pop Town will be up soon. It, it, I, I'm only getting ahead of it by a few hours. Okay. Um, we rolled a Kappa, like the mythical creature. Yeah. And so we found a movie called Death Kappa. Um, it's released in 2010. <laughs> and um... ah, <laughs> sorry, I just got attacked by Lem, kind of. <laughs> we we found a movie called Death Kappa, released in 2010. And um, it has a cameo by a um, director whose movies we have covered twice on this podcast. So uh, we decided to watch it. Okay. It's not Simon Ano Ano, ano Hideaki. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ano Hideaki is like guard number um, three or, or like head of guard in yeah. Death Kappa. So we decided to watch it. <laughs> Um, I was trying to speed through plugs. Uh, you should go listen to Ghost Divers um, on New Year's Eve. Or not New Year's Eve. Uh, New Year's Christmas Neve. Eve. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> the uh, Otori Akio Saga uh, episode will be out. Um, and then uh, New Year's Day, our Independent People episode will come out, which is also our, like... We're going to make it our, like, annual Let's Look Back at the Last Year of the Podcast, which for this is, like, let's just look at the full first year of the podcast. Um, And we thought it would be pretty quick, and we spent, like, an hour talking about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of that, we joked at the beginning that we weren't going to make it go four hours, and it went four hours. (laughs) So (laughs) please enjoy a four-hour episode that I'm going to have to edit at some point and get up. I I just realized I have to do show notes for the Utena episode going out Christmas Eve. It's going to suck. Okokoro was real. Okokoro was real. You should have done that today instead of watching two movies. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> 